can open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. It is the second part of a sermon series on um, a parable where Jesus talks about a man and his two sons. And so if you open up your Bible to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Um, last week, we already got started um, with the first half of this parable. And um, today we're going to tackle the second. And then next week, we're going to kind of wrap things up with this parable as well. Last week, we talked, we've kind of focused on the first part of it, talking about the younger son and how it was that the father graciously, mercifully, and extravagantly, he reinstated him to the position of a fully fledged, like full blown son, not a servant, not somebody who's going to have to, you know, grovel, not someone who's going to have to make sure that they prove that they're worth that kind of reception. Somebody who even just showed up in the far distance and that was enough for the father to go running to him and reinstate him fully as a son. And so today we'll be talking about the second part, but just we're going to go through a quick re, uh, review so that people who might have missed last week are kind of caught up to speed as well. So we're going to read through uh, a few verses first. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them saying, and then he goes through two parables, one about a lost sheep and then one about a lost coin. And then a few, um, a few verses later, he goes into his third parable and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country where he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. And so how we ended last week's sermon was talking about what exactly and how exactly it was that the father reinstated the younger son. And so we talked about how the robe, it basically is saying you are forgiven. You are covered. Everything that you've done in the past is now you know, is now forgotten and now you are 
you have a new start. The ring signified you are family. It was a signet ring of the family. It means you're not going to be a stranger. You're not going to have to work your way into a family. Starting this moment, you are my son once again. Then when the father puts shoes on his feet, it's, it says you are free. He's no longer a slave who has to go around barefoot. He is a son. And as a public symbol of that he wants to make sure that he doesn't go barefoot and lastly the feast that he prepares on his on his behalf something so extravagant something so great it speaks uh, to him that he is filled every remember that he came because of hunger it wasn't because of repentance it wasn't because you know he felt bad about what he did it was hunger it was the stomach that drove him back home and you know, it would be great if he's fully clothed and, you know, all of that and people are celebrating him, but he's still hungry. And until that moment, he was still hungry. And so the father, he kills a fatted calf. Uh, it's, it's a calf that was reserved and groomed for very particular and special occasions. And he uh, slaughtered it on his behalf and he called everybody in to feast because his son was uh, now back. And so this is where we ended last week. Now, if last week you heard the entire message and you were thinking to yourself, man, I wish my brother was here. Man, I wish my coworker was here. Man, I wish so-and-so should be here. Maybe I'm going to send them to the MP3 or man, so-and-so needs to hear this. If that's what you were thinking last week and you feel like it didn't apply to you at all, then this week will surely apply to you for sure. All right. So we're talking about the older son. And so the, the parable goes on to say now his older son was in the field. It's not just any field. It means that he was hard at work. The older son was found picking up the slack that his brother left for him. So he was probably working overtime. He was probably thinking to himself, whatever he was doing, if he was like digging up trenches or something, he was like, man, if I ever see him again, I'm going to, you know, like he was thinking everything that he's doing right now is because of his brother. It's his brother's fault. He was picking up the pieces that the younger, uh, the younger brother had left behind. Now I'm going to ask you a quick question here. Who here in this room is the oldest sibling in your family? Oh, that makes sense. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Who? Okay. Okay. These are all the oldest siblings. Okay. What about the younger siblings? The younger. Okay. That makes a lot of sense too. Younger siblings. Who here is kind of like somewhere in the middle, whether you're in the middle of three or come on, come on, man. Come on. Oh, we're so few. We're so few. Oh man. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background, I'm a middle child as well. I have a younger brother. Many of you know him. He's, he's right here. His name is Andres. I also have an older brother. So I have two brothers. Now you're thinking that explains a lot, right? <laughs> I grew up between two brothers and that was like refining thought. No, it was awesome. I really love having two brothers. Um, but one thing that I, that that did for me growing up is that I was always on the lookout to make sure that things were fair. Like, like th th if he gets something, I better get that too, you know? And I would make a huge stink about things if I wasn't being treated fairly. 
Like, never mind that, you know, maybe it was something that was, you know, boy specific. Like, I, it didn't matter. Like, they get to do martial arts. I want to do martial arts too. Or like, you know, they get to go out late and I want, you know, just because I'm, and I was like so like adamant about making sure that God, I got every right that they did as well. Every opportunity, every blessing, every gift, whatever it was, I wanted to make sure that, man, they don't forget about me. You know, I'm here too. I better get my share. And that was only when it was to my benefit, right? (laughs) When I got something extra, I was like, forget them. You know, (laughs) I'm good. And so I was very skewed in this way. And that's just basically sin nature. We all have it, you know, including pastors. Um, We all have this sin nature where you want to make sure that that you get your blessing um, at the very, very least, the same that other people are getting. And so for me growing up with that kind of that kind of mentality, I can't even imagine if one of my two brothers, maybe, okay, let's talk about my older brother since he's not here. Okay, so if my older brother did something really irresponsible and I was found picking up his slack, I would be so, like, so infuriated. I would be like, I can't believe he did that. And while he's doing that, then I'm left here. And who's going to take care of this? And I would be so worked up because I felt like it was such an injustice that I was picking up the slack on behalf of somebody else. And they got to enjoy something that I'm not getting to enjoy. So it's like a double whammy, right? It's like, not only did they get something that I really wanted and I didn't get, but I get to, I have to do something like negative that, or I would think it's negative that they don't have to do. And so it's like double injustice. And I can't imagine what the older son was thinking while he was in the field working overtime, probably because of what his brother did. And I can't imagine what it must've been like, perhaps maybe it's been months or even years that the younger brother has been gone. I can't imagine even just the emotional um, kind of burden I can't imagine how it affected the father. And then as, as a son that remains at home, like I'm there kind of trying to comfort my father and trying to make sure that he's okay and having to deal with, with all of that emotionally as well. So the entire picture, it looks really, really, you know, sucky for the older brother, right? And he wasn't only in the field. It says, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, Everybody in the town was invited, remember? Except the bro- somebody forgot to invite the brother, right? And so he called one of the servants. I, I can't imagine what went through his mind. He didn't actually go to his father. He didn't actually go into his very own house to be like, what is going on here? He actually called one of the servants to ask him, what in the world is going on? So he was already feeling left out forgotten, neglected, like you are partying here while I'm out in the field working my butt off and you forgot to invite me and it is my fatted calf too. And all the injustice is just piling up, right? I think it's coming from a very deep place in my heart right now, like very animated right now. Okay. And so he called on the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. So again, your brother, you know, your brother, not so-and-so, not your father's son. It is your brother, someone who's related to you has come. And because he has received him, the father has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf, but he 
was angry and would not go in. Now, understandably, if I was in his shoes, I'm already worked up. Like I can't, I can't imagine what he felt. Anger surfaced up in the older brother's heart. And it wasn't, it wasn't, um, like, wait, my, my brother's back home again. It was, wait, he got the fatted calf. Like what? He got my share. He took half already. So now half is left and you're taking from that too after he squandered everything. And so then justice, you know, it, it, it just keeps, you know, growing. Um, he, he is so upset that he's getting celebrated when he probably should have been punished. Um, that in his own moment of rebellion, actually not very unlike the younger brother going off to a far country from his father, he refuses to go into the feast. Now, it's not like, you know what? I'm just going to chill out here. I'm going to hang out at a cafe until that's over. And, you know, I'll go back in and, you know, I'll just pretend that it never happened. No, it was a public protest, a public protest. He's publicly boycotting and protesting his father's actions by refusing to go into the feast. Never mind that his brother was back safe and sound. Never mind that everybody in town was there. And perhaps maybe they could even hear him from inside the house protesting as well. It didn't really matter to him. He was so set. I am not going to celebrate the fact that my brother who squandered everything has come back. And now he's taking my portion as well. And therefore, for the second time that day, the second time that day, the father bears the humiliation and the shame of his son's rebellion, and he comes out. Therefore, his father came out and he pleaded with him. The father pleads with the sulking older son who is throwing a tantrum outside, basically. Perhaps it's even more embarrassing. Perhaps it's going to make a, a more public scene than it needs to be. And yet the father doesn't seem to mind. The father is so set, not just on having his younger son, but also his propriety, his reputable, that he lays down once again his dignity, his propriety, his reputation, Whatever it is that he deserves in other people's eyes, he lays all of that down and he bears once again the embarrassment and the shame of one of his sons. And he goes out and pleads with him. And so he answered, the, the older son, he answered and said to his father, Lo, that's exactly what it, 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 it means exactly what it sounds like. It's like, look here. That's what literally it means. Today it would be like, yo. Like, yo, dad, yo, right? It's like, it's supposed to sound rude, right? It says, look here, these many years I have been serving you. In other translations, it says slaving away for you. Now, this doesn't sound like somebody who enjoys doing like what he's doing. He doesn't enjoy the tasks and the chores that he has. And then he also continues on to say, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. He's saying, I did everything you asked me to. I, 
I didn't go out there and party like my younger brother. I did everything you asked me to. There's not one thing I've said no to from you. I didn't waste my time like my younger brother did. I didn't waste my money like my younger brother did. I didn't mess up. I didn't screw up. I did everything you asked me to do. While he was out there partying with prostitutes, I was out in the field serving you, sacrificing for you. And then he finishes, and yet you never gave me, and yet you held out on me. And yet you cheated me. You never gave me a young goat, not that we would celebrate together, but that I might make merry with my friends. So he is, he doesn't have the father anywhere in mind, right? I might make merry, make merry again. It means party, right? That I might party with my friends. So basically saying, I want to celebrate. Yeah, but not with you, with my friends. So both sons in their rebellion, in one way, one expression or another, they wanted to party and celebrate without the father. The younger son just happened to do it in a far off country. The older son, the same heart, the same mindset. It's it's just that he never left home. But he also wanted to party and celebrate without the father. It was never about the father. It was always about what can I get out of my father. And so it's the same thing the younger sibling told his father earlier in the parable. Give me my inheritance so that I can do with it what I want. It's the same thing. It's just paraphrased. It's the same kind of rebellion, the same kind of heart that is cold and hardened towards their father. It's the very same thing. And it continues on to say, but as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, this son, it's not even my brother. It's your son. It's kind of like when, you know, um, you know, couples who have a, a, a kid, you know, and the kid is misbehaving. They're like, it's your son. It's, it's exactly that, right? It's your son. Um, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood. So he stole from you. Basically he stole from you, your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. He gave you nothing but grief. And yet you forgave him. He gave you nothing but heartache. And yet you open up your arms, open up your house once again, and welcomed him back home. Where is the fairness in that? This is what he's thinking the entire time. How is this fair? How is this just? And that's a very legitimate question. We'll pause here for a second. Um, I'm going to read a quick quote from the book, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. And this is what it says. In the parable, the younger brother's lostness is clearly seen when he ends up in the pigsty. He has run out of friends, money, and resources because of his self-indulgent, undisciplined, and foolish behavior. It has led to a complete life collapse. At that point, the younger brother realizes that he has, quote-unquote, lost his way and returns to try to rebuild his life. However, in this parable, Jesus wants us to discern another more subtle but no less devastating form of lostness. Why is the older son so angry with the father? He feels he has a right to tell the father how the robes, rings, and livestock of the family should be deployed, basically, to himself. 
In the same way, religious people commonly live very moral lives, but their goal is to get leverage over God, to control him, to put him in a position where they think he owes them. Therefore, despite all their ethical fastidiousness and piety, they're actually rebelling against his authority. If, like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. So this is shedding light on the fact that it's possible to be just as lost, just as as spiritually dead as the younger son without actually ever leaving the house. Now, we have to remember that this is a parable that Jesus was speaking in response to the religious elite complaining that how come you are sitting with people who you shouldn't even be associated with? Like, how could you lower yourself to that level? How could you be seen with these people don't, don't you have a reputation to keep? Don't you know that they deserve much less than what you're showing them? And that is exactly Jesus's point. Yes, they deserve a lot less than what I'm giving them. And yet so do you. You are just as lost. You're just as, you know, out in a far country, as spiritually dead as they are. And yet you remain far away while they are drawing near. And so this is a very important point for us to kind of sit on and reflect on. Because as people perhaps who have been in the church for a while, perhaps you've been here for a while, maybe not. But if you have been in the church for a while, the tendency will be after a while, you feel like you've earned your spot there. You feel like you've earned your way. You've complied with everything. And then after that, you begin to serve. And after that, it starts feeling like you're slaving away. And when somebody else gets celebrated, you begin to think, wait, where's my fatted calf? How come I'm not getting celebrated like the newcomer? How come I'm not getting celebrated as the newly saved person? And there's, there's this thing inside of you that begins to grow, this, this kind of jealousy, comparison, this unhappiness that begins to grow inside of you because you feel like, man, I earned this, but they didn't. How come they get treated better than I do? And something inside of you begins to, begins to grow, especially if you're a believer over time. Now, this is not, you know, I'm, I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'm not pointing any fingers. This is in all of us. We have a bit of the younger son in us, and we have a bit of the older son in us. They're both a form of rebellion. They're both a form of sin. And outside of God, coming out to meet us, whether it be out to meet us when we're returning back from a far off country or whether it be coming out of the house to plead with us to come back in to the feast, God has to come out to meet us. He has to come out and plead with us. He has to come out where we are unwilling to go in, where we are unable to go in. He's the one who bridges that gap and closes that gap for us. And so this is the father's response the father said to him, first word he says is son, son. It 
It doesn't matter what you are saying to me right now. It doesn't matter that you are making a fool out of me right now. It doesn't matter that you're publicly protesting this feast that I have inside. And every person in the neighborhood, every person in town can see that you are outside here and you're sulking. And I'm out here, a man who shouldn't have to do this. And I'm pleading with you, please come back in. I still see you as my son. Son, you are always with me. doesn't matter what you're doing right now. You're always with me with me and all I have is yours. Just like the younger son, the older son didn't deserve any of his riches. He didn't deserve any of his inheritance. And yet the father makes it available, not just to the younger son when he asked for his, his inheritance, but also the older son in the midst of his rebellion. He says, all I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. Again, it isn't just my son that is inside there who is reinstated as part of the family, but it's also your brother. Whatever hard-heartedness you feel, whatever callousness you feel, you need to, you need to let go of that in, in order to realize that it's your brother and he's back and that's more important than anything else. This answers the question, you know, that's ans- that, that is asked in Genesis. I believe it's like chapter, oh, shoot, I can't think of the chapter right now. But when God asks Cain, you know, where's your brother? And Cain answers, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that is, yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, and in the same way we see that the o- younger brother and the older brother, he's asking, he's asking him, um, the older brother, He's asking him, like, hey, it's, it's your younger brother. Can you love him as well? Can you receive him as well? Can you embrace him as well? Can you celebrate him as well? The father is saying it is right that we should celebrate for your brother, not just my son. It's not like I've just regained a son again. You've regained a brother again. Your brother has returned to the house. Will you return as well. This is what he's asking the older son. The father is saying to the older son, you are dead and lost without ever having left the house. And on the outside, you're doing all the right things, but on the inside, you're as far away as your younger brother was filled with resentment, filled with anger, unforgiveness, entitlement, self-righteousness, and arrogance. You need to come back home. I don't know if you see it right now. And so this is the image of the father going out of the feast, pleading with his older son in the same way that he went out and rescued his younger son. And this is the image at the same time of Jesus looking at the Pharisees and the religious elite, the teachers of the law. He's looking at them. He's saying, will you return to me as well? Will you return? I'm reaching out for you. I'm going out to meet you. Will you return to me? as well. And this is kind of the cliffhanger that Jesus ends the story in. We don't, we don't know. We don't know the result. What happened from that? Did the Pharisees realize like, Oh, I'm the elder son. I'm the older son. And maybe I need to return back home to God as well. Maybe it hit home. Maybe it didn't. We don't really know, but that question hangs in the air. Will you return back to the father? Will you let go 
of your resentment, your anger, your self-righteousness, your arrogance, your superiority, like the way that you look down on others that are receiving of grace and you feel like they haven't earned that, but you have, will you let go of that and come back to the Father? We have to remember that in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, it had said, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they muttered, This man welcomes sinner and eats with them. So the way that I picture this in my mind is, you know, Jesus is, you know, in a home probably, and he's feasting and having a really great time with people who are drawn to him. Sinners that were outcasts, sinners that would never be received into the temple or into synagogue. And he was sitting with them and he was seeing them eye to eye. He was treating them with dignity he was embracing them. And then you see off in a far corner, you see the Pharisees saying, what in the world is he doing? Isn't he a rabbi? Doesn't he have a reputation to upkeep? Like I would never be caught dead hanging around those kind of people. And they're muttering to themselves. And the way that I imagine is Jesus getting up and he goes over to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. It doesn't say in the Bible, but it's just how I imagine it. And he begins to you know, tell these three parables to them. And as he's, you know, in this third one, and he's talking about the younger son, he's probably just looking back at the people that he was just sitting with. And he's saying, you know, yeah, they, they went out and they squandered all the wealth, but then they got received back and they got a robe put on them and a ring and shoes. And there was a feast and there, there was such a celebration. And I can imagine like his, his eyes almost like tearing up as he's talking about people. And then he turns to them and he begins to talk about the older brother. And he identifies and he acknowledges the anger and resentment and callousness and all of that 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 they feel. And he leaves that invitation open to them. He leaves that invitation. He says, will you come with me as well? Will you come sit with me as well? They're not the only lost ones who need to return home. You're also lost. You should be eating with me as well. And so it's an invitation. It's reaching out to someone who is just as lost and yet perhaps more blind to the fact that they're lost. And he's reaching out for them as well. So this is my theory. I mean, this is the way that I I think about it. My theory is Jesus loved the Pharisees as well. Whenever you see him addressing them, and saying, like, I'm here. Why Don't you know the scriptures? It wasn't, in my mind, perhaps it was, but in my mind, it wasn't just like a condemnation, shame on you, but it was like, open your eyes. There's still hope. There's still a chance. I am here. Why won't you come to me? And it was, in a sense, reaching out for them as well. It wasn't that his heart was soft and tender towards the sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and then really hardened towards the Pharisees. I believe he was reaching out to them as well. He knew that they needed him just as much, if not more, just as much as, you know, the, the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And so this really messes with our understanding of the gospel. First of all, we need to understand that if there's a part of you that says it's not fair, you're right. It's not. That's the point, right? It's not fair. 
It's not fair. The person that's bearing the burden financially, emotionally, you know, even in terms of embarrassment and shame and humiliation, it's the father. He's the one who's being treated most unfairly in this entire parable, and yet he's the one who gladly and freely gives that invitation to both the younger and the older son. And so our understanding of the gospel, sometimes we think about it this way, right? On one end, on one extreme, we have the rebellious people, the people who are like, I'm never going to step into a church. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go out there and live a life, and that's, you know, rebellion. And then you think about religious. Okay, so maybe we shouldn't fall on this extreme either, Uh, We shouldn't be like, you know, thankless and joyless and just, you know, obeying like a slave. And perhaps the gospel is somewhere in the middle. Maybe there's a balance somewhere in the middle. You can't be, you know, really legalistic and, you know, like uptight, but you can't be so free spirited. And so, you know, I don't care about the rules and perhaps somewhere in the middle, there's a good balance. But Jesus is actually destroying this image of the gospel for us, Jesus is basically saying this, there's either rebellion and religion, or there's the gospel. They don't intersect. It is not a gradient. It is not a spectrum. It is a completely different order of things. You can either be measured by what you are doing, whether it be good or bad, or you can be evaluated according to what someone else has done for you. You can't have it both ways. You either are weighed by your ability, you know, to hang on to the rules and do whatever you're told or not do it, or you get to bank on grace and mercy. And that is what Jesus is laying out before both the tax collector and sinner and also the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Whether it be rebellion or religion, it is still going to condemn you. You are always going to fall short of the glory of God. Why don't you lay that down and receive the grace and the mercy that I'm extended to you? Undeserved, unfair, and yet free. And that is what he's calling both the rebel and also the religious person to. And so next week we'll be having a third and last, you know, part from this series, and we're going to be focusing on the father. The first part was focusing on the younger son. Today, we're focusing on the older son. And next week, we'll be focusing on the father. But we're going to end with this, and perhaps maybe the praise team can come back up. So in the same way that we saw the father reinstating dignity and worth in the younger son, a few verses earlier, we see him doing the same with the older son. And in this case... We see him saying four different things. The first is he calls him son. He is saying you are still family. As religious as you are, as angry as you are, as resentful as you are, you're still family. I still want you with me. You're family. Nothing that you do, whether it be good or bad, can get, can, you know, out, out power. What's the word I'm looking for? override, undo the fact that you are my son. You're still my son. You are still family. The second thing he says is you are always with me. Perhaps the older son needed to be reminded that he wasn't alone. He's not alone. In all his striving, 
in all his covering up for his younger brother and picking up the slack, perhaps he felt very lonely in that place. Perhaps he felt like all of it is falling on me. And now I'm the one who has to take care of everything. And now I have to pay the price. And he felt very lonely in that place. The father's reminding him, you were never alone. I was always with you. The third thing he told him was all I have is yours. He needed to be reminded that he is provided for. Whether he worked hard or didn't, he would still be provided for. For people who fall a bit more in the religious category, you begin to feel like, man, I gotta, I gotta work for it now. And if I slack off, and if I don't do my part, I'm not gonna be provided for. Nobody's gonna help me out. Nobody's gonna do this for me. There are never freebies in this world. And that's the way that you begin to think. And yet the father is saying, you are provided for. I'm your father. I'm still here. You don't have to fend for your own. You don't have to do everything on your own. You don't have to provide for yourself and others around you on your own. You are provided for. You have a father. And the last thing that he didn't explicitly say, and yet it was implicitly, you know, kind of said, it is come to the feast. You are desired. Will you also come to the your absence is you are missed your absence is felt come to the feast there you can you can't bring your resentment and your anger and all of that into the house you got to let that go and come into the house and celebrate there is joy just like it's available to the younger son it's available for you as well. It's not just for the person who has rebelled and has just come back. It's for every person that chooses to draw close to the Father. Come to the feast. If you felt like serving the Father has become a burden, if you felt like it's become an, just an obligation, a joyless obligation, just doing what I need to do. And I'm going to keep my head down and I'm just going to plow through until this is all over. And I just got to do that and I'll just make it through. And, and that's all that's in store for me. The father's saying something very different. There's a feast, there's enjoyment, there's satisfaction. There's so much more in store for you. If only you would lay down your anger and resentment and entitlement that you would just lay that down and come in to feast with me he's saying come to the feast you are desired so if you're like the younger son and you've gone as far away from god as you can the call from the father is to come back home in his presence his belongings safety and a profound sense of satisfaction in a way that no self-constructed methods of self-fulfillment can offer. But if you're like the older son, and although you do all the right things, you're emotionally distant from God, there's no intimacy, no closeness. You can't seem to know how to receive grace and mercy at his hands, or you find yourself joylessly, quote-unquote, slaving away for God. The Father's call is also come back to me. This greater freedom than you ever dared 
dream of is greater satisfaction in his presence than anything your self-achieved, self-imposed methods of fulfillment could ever deliver. There's a father who calls you son. Whether you've done well or done poorly, there's a provider who makes all riches and glory in Christ Jesus available to you. And there's a banquet. Talk to me. Connect with me. Come back to me. That's what the Father is saying. Now, even for me, as someone, if I were to get a little bit personal, even for me as someone who does ministry, it's very easy for me to fall into this older son mentality. Where I feel like, okay, you know, everybody can mess up, but not me. You know, I can't mess up. I can't, you know, I better... There's no cushion, no, no margin for error for me. I better do my due diligence and more, and then some. I can't afford to make a mistake. I can't be found with my guard down. I need to have all the answers. I need to be well prepared, and this is my job as a pastor, and often I can fall into that as well. And it's in times like that that God needs to call me back home. He needs to say, look, whether you preach well or not, whether you're leading this church well or not, I just need you with me. And for me, there's, there's, when it comes to leading a church even, sometimes there's pressure, not from the Lord, but from me. Like, I come to the Lord and I say, God, like, I need to do well. I need to do right by them. I can't say the wrong thing. I can't say the wrong way. I got to say it right. I got to do everything right. I got to make sure that I'm a good pastor. And sometimes I get very consumed by that. And I can fall very easily into that older brother mentality. I need to execute. I need to perform. I need to measure up. I need to make sure that I dot all my I's and cross all my T's and make sure that I don't make any mistakes because if I do make a mistake, there's not going to be any grace for me. There's not going to be any mercy. There's not going to be any second chances for me. And God reminds me over and over and over and over again. Where you're living right now is not a second chance. It's not a third chance. It's the millionth chance right now. The reason why you're here is because of grace and mercy. And if you're not enjoying things with me, if it doesn't feel like you're feasting with me as we're doing these things together, you're going to very quickly feel like I'm slaving away for the church. I'm slaving away for your people, God. Where's my fatted calf? And I'm going to fall into that very easily. So the call that I feel God asking me week after week is, when you go up there and preach, make sure that you're enjoying things with me. When you go out there and counsel someone or pray for someone, make sure that you're enjoying me. I don't want you doing all these great things for me, but without me. I need to make sure that you don't miss out on the feast. I'm reaching out to you as well. And I know that this doesn't just apply to pastors. I know this applies to everybody. Whether we're trying to do the right things with the best intentions or not, if we miss out on the feast, we miss out on the Father's presence, then we've missed the point. The point is the Father wants us with him. The father wants us with him. Whether we are the rebel kind, the younger brother, a uh, younger son type, or whether we're the religious type, 
the Father wants us with us. So I'm going to close this time with prayer.